You're listening to. Welcome back to another episode of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here at the end of May, the end of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, APAM. We're here to talk about our May 2019 book club pick, This is Paradise, by Christiana Kahakawila, um, a collection of short stories featuring the voices of Native Hawaiians. Yes. Um... As always, this is your spoiler warner. Warner. Yes. Spoil- Spoil- spoiler warner. Spoiler Because that rhymes. It's been a very, very long day. I sound really tired in this episode because I barely had enough sleep. But, yeah. But um, yeah, like I was really excited to read read a book by a Pacific Islander mm-hmm. author this time around because um, we usually focus on Asian Asian American. Uh, writers like we say in our intro every single episode but you know like change of pace i feel like we we say that just to like just to cover our bases a little bit just because it is a little bit harder to find works by pacific islanders in you know in the mainstream canon sometimes yeah um i know that uh for uh christiana's book it may have been a little bit difficult for some people to uh to get a hold of um there's not a lot of copies of it like paperback wise in terms of like your mainstream bookstores. Uh the easiest way to get a hold of it is through Kindle. I read mine on Kindle, yeah. Yeah. I I, got, I was lucky enough to have a library that had it. <laughs> two two libraries around me had a copy. So you that know, was really nice. We still haven't done that thing where we follow me to get my library card for the I first know. time in. Well, that two that decades. is for um I guess for crowdfunding, <laughs> we have to have like an incentive for people to give us money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was really excited to read this book, too, just because um, we haven't read a PI author since, um, I think... The Whale Rider. Which was one of... We read that in the first year, right? Yeah, we read that in yeah. our very, very first year. And our intent for this podcast was always to be inclusive of all API identities. Yeah. I also really wanted to read something somewhat modern because a yeah. lot of uh, PI books that are sent to me are usually books from like the late 90s. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, it is 2019. Like we need to read something from the last 10 years at the yeah. very least. And there were a lot of parallels i thought with our last book um, bangkok works wakes the rain with the the tensions between modernization and traditions yes right? yes that was totally on purpose <laughs> yes um but before we get to our book discussion uh Rira, you said you had some news you wanted to share yeah some quick bullet points so uh first up uh congratulations to celeste ng her book little fires everywhere reached number one on the new york times bestsellers list for paperback fiction and uh, Celeste Ng, we read her debut novel for this uh, book club. It was like our third pick, I think. I'm, I'm not sure which month we read it in, but but it was like one of our very, very early yeah. choices. And it was a very popular choice, too. A lot of our members um, said that they really enjoyed everything I never told you. Mm-hmm. And I've read Little Fires Everywhere, and I absolutely freaking love this book. And I'm so stoked for the Hulu series that's that that's going to come up. Yeah. So this is my um not 
familiar with how charts work, but there's a separate chart for paperback and hardcover? Yes. I mean, it, it, the, America's weird in, in, in terms of like data for, for books. What about those books that start out in soft cover? They just never have a chance in the hardcover. No, it would be it would be in paperback fic- fiction. Uh huh. Yeah, it wouldn't be categorized as hardcover. So most books have a chance to get on that list twice. Then. Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, it depends on like how well they do uh, in sales for the first mm. couple of weeks. That seems a little broken, maybe. But see, I I I love hardcover books but i also have a love hate relationship with it because <laughs> i because when i went to asia um, well, it cost like a gajillion dollars well yeah yeah one and like when i went to asia everything was soft covers like they yeah. don't really have hardcover books and, and they're like shrink wrapped yeah they're shrink wrapped <laughs> and you can like bend the paperback without damaging it and mm. it's like really portable and nice Whereas with hardcover books, they're so big and heavy and there's no way to like carry it around in your purse or anything. So I'm like, yeah, hardcovers look really nice on my bookshelves, but I also don't read them when like I'm on like when I'm on the go. That's true. I carry my backpack everywhere. So I just like throw it in there. Yeah. Instead of like another thing <laughs> well you have a you have a kindle now so that probably yeah. affected game changer yeah it really really is three years into this podcast marvin you finally get an ebook reader i mean i've had a kindle account because i used to read it on my ipad i had an ipad yeah, too yeah. Where kindle on though so uh, so i had a whole library on it i just haven't had a actual kindle kindle until recently i mean they're all the same i read most of my books on my phone now because i have the kindle app <laughs> on here um, but moving on to our last piece of news, um, Harper Children's bought three graphic novels. Uh, two of them are middle grade and one of them is YA uh, by Wendy Shu, who is the co-creator of Mooncakes. Uh, one of the books is called Tide Song and, is re- and it's set to release in 2021. Uh, and the story features an ambitious 12-year-old who moves to a seaside town with her aunts and she's a, she's an apprentice in magic, and she realizes that it may be more than she bargained for. And the second book is uh, due out a year after Tide Song. The YA graphic novel is called The Infinity Particle, and it's described to be kind of similar to Ghost in the Shell. And it's about a young woman whose best friend and first love suddenly reappears in her life after being presumed dead for about three years. And um, I think that's going to be published in 2023. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Congratulations to Wendy. Six figures. That's That's, pretty. That's a lot of money to do what you love. (laughs) And three books, too. Congratulations, indeed. That's more money than I make ever. I mean, writing is hard. (laughs) Writing is hard. And I say get as much as you can for it because I feel like writers don't get paid enough. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So with those quick uh, book news stories out of the way, let's get into our book. Um, Rira, tell us about our May Book Club pick. And I'm reading from the jacket description as always. In a stunning collection that announces the arrival of an incredible talent, Christiana Kahakawila travels the islands of Hawaii, making the fabled place her own. Exploring the deep tensions between local and tourist, tradition and expectation, facade and authentic self, This is Paradise provides an unforgettable portrait of life as it's truly being lived on Maui, Oahu, Kauai, 
and the Big Island. And excuse any mispronunciation I have of Hawaiian names. None of us are from Hawaii. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It is very, very difficult. Um, at least for me, because I like I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure if I had like, um, for example, if I was listening to this on on like audiobook, mm-hmm. I would probably get the pronunciation down just from the sheer repetition. Yeah, of it being um said in my ears. But since I read this in paperback, <laughs> I will be butchering names, and I apologize deeply for that before we go into the talk. Yeah. Um. So right off the bat, I really, really enjoyed this this series of short stories. Um, I liked all of them. Yeah, yes. A lot, yeah. This was our first short story collection, which is, um, you know, it's very different from reading a a novel. (laughs) I'm not really quite sure how we should go about talking about the stories, but I think the first story is a pretty good place to start. Yeah, the the titular... um, this is paradise. Mm-hmm. I really liked how it used us and our as the framing for the narrative, and that's not that's not second person, right? That's that's like that's, somewhat first person. That, that's first person. Yeah, it's first person, um, but it's plural. Mm. And I actually really like. I think it was last week. I, I think in last week's episode, I said that I really, really liked the first story in this collection. It definitely, like, like grabs you and reels you in, yeah. um, which is usually the case with short story collections. The first one is going to be the one that, like, really lures you in. And um, I really like the fact that it was told in three different vantage points. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, three different groups of women. You have the first group of women who are surfers, who are locals, and the second group of women who are housekeepers in in like a resort hotel. And then the third group of women are like corporate women who uh, I think most of them went to the mainland for college and then they came back to be successful businesswomen. Yeah. And um, yeah, like it, it's interesting that it was the story of a tourist throughout, but told from the perspectives of the local women. Yes, right? there there was definitely. I really like that juxtaposition between like because because the first story takes place in Waikiki, mm-hmm. so you have like the glamorous tourist version of Waikiki, and then you have it, um, you you're seeing it through like a locals perspective where it's not as glamorous there is like some um provincial parts of it Mm -hmm. and uh yeah and i also really like the suspense aspect to the story it was very law and order (laughs) kind of yeah it was just like after after like one group of women would see uh susan um the the foreigner would be like dun dun Is that what played in your head during those scenes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it was really interesting how it, right off the bat, gives you the Hawaii that you see in movies and TV, but immediately also peels off that paint, right? By showing you this is a real place where real people work. And the perspectives are all from working women, mm-hmm. right? And they all have this relationship with being 
quote unquote local, right? Yeah. Um, I I think all of uh, Christiana's stories explore what it means to be a local. What what does it mean to be um, Hawaiian but not local, and what it means to be native versus like being a foreigner, and uh, how foreigners are seen through all of these different subgroups' perspectives. And it was really interesting because Susan kind of, uh, you know, she was a completely different person for each each yeah. group of women. So you have like the surfers who are like, oh, it's like another white lady in a bikini and just here on, on vacation. And then you have like the housekeepers who are like, yeah, she seems like she seems to be a sensible woman and very much nicer than the other like white ladies who are staying <laughs> at this hotel and then you have uh, the corporate women who are kind of like, why is she being so... Well, I think they see her as someone they were. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like yeah. naive and less structured. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. um, all of the perspectives and all of the, the different viewpoints, they carry their own um, tensions too. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, like... When the first element of danger pops up, mm-hmm. um, when they're at the bar, and it's the surfer girls with um, with Susan, they they warn her in the bathroom, saying, "Hey, like, just so you know, the guy that you've been talking to all night has a prison tattoo," yeah. and she just kind of brushes them off. And and even then, like at first, they were like they were really just protecting themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one of them said, "Oh, we should." take care of this person who's obviously out of their depth in this situation. Um, and it was more, it, it was more out of their own like guilt. You know, it's <laughs> like, if we don't say anything now, we're probably going to like feel bad about it later. Yeah. But then they felt bad about it later because uh, spoiler, Susan died. <laughs> I think um, it was really interesting how um, Christiana illustrates like the, not only the tension between, the local surfer girls and Susan, but also Susan and the local girls. Like Susan just assumes that they, they just don't like her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, she says something like really snarky too. Yeah. She She's like, oh, they're in paradise. What do they have to be mad about? Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the name of the story. And that's what she keeps saying. This is paradise, right? This, that's her last words that you hear in the story is her saying, this is it. This is paradise. And, I mean, that's the the sales pitch of Hawaii, right? Especially Waikiki. It's like the Las mm. Vegas of Hawaii. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> it's like the glitz and glamour and uh, like they sell you like beautiful women in like coconut bras and grass hula skirts and drinks and like beautiful sunsets by the <laughs> beach, like as as if it's like a cover of a romance novel. Right. And, and there's a line where they were saying, if you walk outside of like the resort area, everyone versus like they shop at Macy's. Yes. Right. Globalization at its best. <laughs> but uh, there is a passage from This is Paradise that I really liked. And I and I wrote it down in our Goodreads forums so I wouldn't forget. Um, and it goes, we look at each other and we feel the heat rising in our faces. Our families are barely affording a life here. The land is being eaten away by developers. The old sugar companies still control water rights. Not only does paradise no longer belong to us, but we have to watch foreigners destroy it. Yeah, this is right after she says, uh, they live in paradise. What is there to be mad about? Yeah, and that happened after um, 
after they bring her in on a free shot that one of the surfer girls scored off the bartender, right? And it was really interesting within this group of surfer girls, because not all of them are also Native Hawaiian. Yeah. Right? So one of them was, I think she was from San Jose or San Francisco, and she moved to mm-hmm. Hawaii. And then one of the themes throughout all these stories is being local doesn't mean you're from there, but it means that you have assimilated, right? Or you have become... Mm-hmm. Like, you you you're viewed as one of one of us, quote unquote, right? Yes. Um, and that can happen whether or not you have any um, Native Hawaiian n- blood in you. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. And um, like that 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 group of girls, they were from all sorts of different like um, different islands, islands. Yeah. and you know, like one of them was from San Jose, and um, yeah, like after. Like after Susan, Susan's body is discovered, you know, despite all of these groups of women having, uh, you know, disdain or, you know, judgment on this on this woman, uh, they kind of come together in the end in like this in, in like sisterhood or like, I don't know, it's just like she was one of us, even though she was a foreigner, like we there, there is like some regret lingering there. It's like well, we should have welcomed her more, or we should have warned her more seriously. We should have known better. Yeah, and I mean that comes from the fact that they're all also women trying to survive, yes. and there is also this tension. And I know I keep using this, but like I feel like this this book is full of tensions, right? I mean, any good story is full of tensions. With the surfer girls, they hated that they were at this bar in this touristy part of town. But it was also the only place they can go to find like people to party with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and the same way with the with the um with the business ladies, um, a lot of them there's this sense that like they almost regret having to come back to the islands to work when they could have followed like their college boyfriends or or yeah, people they... to like work in DC or LA or like where where they can be more. Yeah, they I think it was like one of the passages uh, that said like they didn't have to come back to be pillars of a community to Mm -hmm. be role models um, and that they envy uh, their police officer friend who, you know, got married and, you know, she works like a local like a very like minimal job of like training rookies and not really getting her own like own beat i guess i guess that's the word for police <laughs> i don't know like you're the law and order fan <laughs> no i'm not i really don't like that show but yeah like the 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 corporate women they used to go to that bar where the surfer girls were at and mm. they're like oh man remember the days when like <laughs> <laughs> when when we were like naive and and like would get drunk and party all the time thank god we grew up from that <laughs> and um and then, like later on, after after they find out that Susan had uh, had died because of like a bad encounter with a man, they they're just like, why didn't like she should have known better? Like they start like victim blaming until one of them says, "Well, we weren't any different when we were twenty two. So, yeah, I mean the last I think the last line was like, "Were we just lucky then?" Yeah, were we just lucky right. then? Yeah, which is very chilling. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I really, really liked the first story. I thought it set the 
tone really well for um, for for this collection of short stories. Um, I figured like right after I finished reading it, I thought that all of the other stories would be character sketches as well because mm. it seemed that is what Christiana seemed to be really good at, just like capturing all the nuances of of a person. Yeah, and, I mean, we didn't really talk much about the the housekeeping staff, and mm-hmm. I think their story was really. I, I know we were about to move on to the next story. Oh but, no, 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 um, no redhead. I mean, I feel like their story was the story of Hawaii, the tourist destination. Because they're talking about, like, they were literally saying how they're told not to get in people's business. I think there was a passage where they said one of the housekeepers, like, tried to intervene when someone was, like, looked like she was being attacked and she got reprimanded by hotel staff. Mm-hmm. Right. And you compare that with, like, them pulling all the stops to do, like, a, a vigil for this woman who lost her life on their beach. And you kind of see that with the, um, with the business ladies as well, where sure they came back to become pillars of their their culture and to become role models, but also like they like the surfer girls understand how the companies that they're working for are kind of also destroying the place that they love, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Are we just gonna go in order of the stories, well, or are we gonna? I mean, that being said, um, which one was your favorite story? Mm, I mean, like surprisingly, I liked all of them. Mm. Um. Which is usually very rare for short story really? story collections. I've only read a handful of short stories in my life, mm-hmm. and um, and usually those stories are much much shorter. There's like a higher volume of short stories in the book, and then um, and they're like much much shorter. Right. But for Christiana's collection, there's only six stories, and they're all like kind of longer <laughs> than I expected them to be. Yeah. Um. So. So that w- that felt really good because uh, to me it gave me more time to get acquainted with a character and to uh, to kind of drink in the setting. Mm. And um, I I don't know, like I thought the fr- the first one was so good. I thought that the rest would be like would would not live up to um, live live up to my expectations. Uh-huh. But I actually really like the second story, Wan Lei. Mm. Yeah. Um yeah, that one um it's probably pronounced well, I don't know because I don't think they they're using the correct Chinese pronunciation, which would be Wan Le, but um I think I mean everything's kind of mixed yeah. in Hawaii. Um I didn't expect to um get into a story about cockfighting. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I like because I absolutely abhor it. Mm-hmm. Like I hate any kind of, um, I, I guess like any kind of like violent sport, whether yeah. it's like between humans or animals. I just, I just don't like it. <laughs> I am, I am very adverse to like gore and blood. Yeah, but it was, but it was really interesting because the main character is a woman and she is not bothered by all this violence and she is kind of in a field where it's male dominated. And she's also kind of like John Wick where like it's a revenge story in a way. In a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I liked it because I feel like it was an illustration of that thing they were talking about in the first story where it's like, we were all young ones. Mm-hmm. Right. And like who we become as adults, like it could be completely different than like what we were as a young adult, I guess. 
I I also really one aspect that I really really loved about uh, the second story was how she idolized her father, and her father was kind of seen as um, this hero to her, like this hero in cockfighting who, mm-hmm. you know, knew always knew what he was doing, was the best at what he did. But then she finds out that he was actually just really good at cheating, and he had help. And um, you know, I I think all of us growing up, there's a moment in our lives where our parents become human beings rather than parents. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I think that is like really relatable. Um <laughs> You mean the moral wasn't that all men will let you down? I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like every single person in your life will let you down at one point. Mm. It's just a matter of do you forgive them and uh and can you forgive yourself for being naive? <laughs> yeah. What did you think about the Indian? The Indian. Um, I, I don't, I don't he know. He seemed like a jerk, kind of, right? Like, mm. like just in the way that he was always trying to like correct her when, like, it's yeah. I see. Like, I see what you English, mean. Like to you know? to correct her, um, to kind of like influence her. Yeah. To being the person that he wants her to be, which is never really healthy in any relationship. Yeah. If you can't accept the person for who they are, then <laughs> get out as soon as possible. It's it's just not it does not make for a good relationship. Um but I I thought that was like a pretty good turning point, though, when uh, after she wins her match against Mr. O and she comes back to her house and she finds that all of the locks have been changed. Yeah. And, and she goes to the back where her chicken coop is and all of her belongings are yeah. tossed about. And then like she she like in that in that moment, she's like, oh, I, I just have to like go apologize and he'll be OK with it. But as soon as she sees she sees that he like murdered all of her her chickens her chickens and all of the eggs she realizes like nope yeah. i <laughs> nope i'm out of here like this is this is not something that i want in my life and she also realizes that um the indian became his father like in that moment he broke kind of like a code that he had for himself which is to like never do violence do violence yeah so i i thought that was like a pretty interesting um turning point um the juxtaposition between like the cockfighting versus uh Wanley taking care t- taking care of her roosters mm-hmm. and how like she showed so much affection how she would hum in order to calm them down but at the same time if they were too injured and they lost a ba- lost a battle <laughs> lost a match <laughs> like she Pokemon. would she would uh you know you know Pokémon's actually just Monster cockfighting. Yes, you know they that, are. right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Are you are you pro Pokemon fights? No, I'm not. <laughs> I I just like catching them, oh. which is probably why Pokemon Snap is is my ideal game. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I no. took you in the middle of a thought. <laughs> oh no, no, it's um, fine. I just made the connection in my head. I, this I is also, pretty much Pokemon. <laughs> uh, and another part I really liked about um, Wanley was the fact that she. You know, even even though she was involved in cockfighting, which is like so violent, um, she was someone who 
had sensuality. She had like a softness to her. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like really nice because oftentimes in stories, uh, (laughs) women in like more manly fields, they're just like, I have no emotions. I am a, I'm a robot. Whereas like she was able to be both, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in less capable hands, they would have completely made her like a masculine figure with like all the trappings of like emotionless, cold, ruthless. But um luckily for us um christiana is a more capable writer (laughs) yeah um i also really like the ending of that story too like like it 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 just like was so satisfying to me because she's she runs into mr o again yeah and instead of like kind of having like i guess like a talk with him like she originally wanted He's just like, no, I'm good. Like, Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes to show that if you live your life a certain way, you can never, like, escape that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, Wan, Lei's, Wan Lei's father ran a dirty business and eventually paid the price because he was dealing with mobsters, right? And Mr. O was the one who had him killed. And so from then on, like, he... Is always af- he'll be always be afraid of someone doing the same to him, right? And it's like you know, mm-hmm. it's um, <laughs> it's um, like and Wang Lei was able to kind of break that chain, right? Yeah, by walking away. Yeah, she was able to break that chain by, um, I guess, like by just letting it go mm-hmm. and just starting a new chapter in, in her life and. Um, yeah, I like I really that ending like really s- sat well with me and yeah. and it's just like, oh man, I don't really get that feeling from short stories. Usually I'm like, give me more. Yeah. Or that's it. That's usually my two <laughs> my two reactions to short stories. I mean, to be fair, that's what Wanley thought about when she finally beat Mr. O. It's like that's it. And it, that moment reminded me of the um the speech from M. Bison in Street Fire the movie. Oh. <laughs> where he was like, that day was the most important day of your life. But to me, it was a Wednesday. <laughs> um, <laughs> like when she saw like just how little he cared about losing to her. Yeah. 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 Um, speaking of like subverting gender stereotypes and being in a field where like it's male dominated. Um, the there's another story in this book where you have a character who is breaking gender stereotypes and uh let me try i'm trying to remember the name of it which one was it the old paniola way right that's the the last that's the last the story yeah. yes um i i guess we can jump into that yeah it, it, paniola i'm assuming because i didn't look this up is just hawaiian for rancher right rancher, cowboy cowboy yeah yeah you have a character who is a hospice nurse, mm-hmm. and you know that's usually a field that's yeah. dominated by women. I mean, it's a story about a dying dad, right? And we, we've yes. seen these stories before. You know, people yeah. find trying to find closure and all that. The story about uh, about the the son coming back home to like take care of an ailing father, yeah, to say goodbye to his ailing father and running into, um kind of old problems that never really settled down before they left. Yeah. yeah. We've all seen we've this all story seen before. This. 
doesn't mean that it's not it's not done well yeah. though. And then not in the setting, right? Which I'm way more interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really liked how it introduced like sexuality in into it because I feel like that is uh, <laughs> yeah like as as we move forward uh in our lives like gender identity and sexuality it evolves every year mm-hmm. and of course our parents generation uh they can be a lot more conservative or uneducated in those uh in those ideas yeah and uh I mean we've all been there where our parents say things like mom dad you can't say those anymore or we all have like parts of ourselves where we're afraid to show reveal that part of ourselves to like our family yeah being like oh you only get to see one layer of me because otherwise disgrace (laughs) (laughs) i mean the story is also a story about coming out yes yes definitely yeah and i thought it was so i mean the main character is Palipo, Palipo, uh, Palipo, Palipo, yeah, yeah P I L I P O, um, Palipo, and Pili for short, and he is a a successful marketing executive at age thirty one, which is how how in, in San Francisco how, how? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he comes home and is kind of confronted with his absence. And like again, we've seen the story before, right? Like mm-hmm. you have the sister who's been there the whole time and kind of feeling like, well, now you're here. And like now you're kind of taking my spot. Like his sister Miley has been, as with other characters in this book, like a, uh, someone who has never left the mm-hmm. islands. And she's been taking care of her father his entire illness, right? And then in comes her younger brother, who's like obviously favored by the dad too, right? I don't think it's like favored, but it, it's like a different kind of relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Because like it's like father-son relationship. So um, their relationship has something that she doesn't have with her father. And um, I, I guess like one of the one of that is like the ranch itself. Mm-hmm. Like her father would prefer... Um, Peely to have ownership of the ranch and to keep things as is. Whereas right. Miley, she is introducing new techniques with um, taking care of the horses and you know like her technology. Da- yeah, and her <laughs> it's and, newfangled. And her dad's just feeding. like, oh no, just like if I leave the ranch to you, like my son, I know that things will remain the same and will be kept in the family and yada yada yada. There's there's a lot of patriarchy in there too, and a lot of like sexism. Yeah, I mean, I like how the father, um, Harrison, is portrayed as like a real rugged man's man, like a real cowboy, right? A manly man. A manly man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Harrison is a very manly man name. Yeah, you know. But I liked how like this was a coming out story. But really, the coming out seemed to be between Pili and his sister. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also a story about what, how we find closure with the passing of loved ones or important people in our lives, right? Yeah. And there is that passage where Pili finally confronts his sister about the tension between them and saying that 
he wants to come out. Yeah, it was right after her, their father falls into a coma, right? And it's pretty much on his deathbed. And when that happens, like he was out making sweet love with um, the hospice nurse. With Albert. Um, and they were just fighting about like all of the unspoken like kind of tensions between them throughout the story. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of like anger yeah. and resentment. Uh, like with Miley, it's like, you know, I've been here the entire time yeah. where you have only visited maybe like once every like five months. Yeah, like and... You're the one that ran away. And also, like, I know you're gay. Yeah. And I've been covering for you. Yeah, I've been covering for you. Right. And then like with Peely, that that makes that sets him off. That's yeah. the reason why he comes out um, to his father. Because yeah. he's like, we could have had a normal family relationship if you did not cover for me. If like... <laughs> A lot of this tension could have been saved if you hadn't, like, hidden a really important part of my identity. And then she comes back saying that you're the one that left because you couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And also, like, she kind of puts in the the contrast that, like, coming out to their father now will only serve one person. Yeah. Right. And, like, if you had come out, like, years before, maybe we could have had that that relationship that you want. But at this point, like, what do you expect to happen? Like, dad can't even hear, like, respond to you anymore. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's he he goes and does that. And it's it's really funny because he comes out to his father on his deathbed in a coma by giving Albert the blanket that his father gave his mother as an engagement present. Yeah. And I don't think I'll do anything about the context of that gift. So he's, oh, this is real nice. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Right. I thought that was funny. Yeah. But it it was really, really nice that, um, like, you had had queerness introduced into into the story. Because I feel like I'm not an expert on, um, you know, Pacific Islander culture. And obviously there are, like, it's a very, very broad um, spectrum, considering it's not just, like, one island. It's, like, multiple several mm-hmm. islands but it seems to me that there's a lot of like patriarchy and um a lot of like gender roles within um within the community and it's just like like you you get a sense of that when uh when the story does like a flashback to when uh Pili was going to a hotel or a country club with his dad and they see um they see a trans woman, mm-hmm. and Peely doesn't know that um, that that person is trans. And then his father is like, his father says some really, really like homophobic and <laughs> yeah. transphobic things. And um, I don't know, like it. I, I feel like we get a lot of coming out stories in. Um, in the white people scene, yeah. <laughs> but, but we don't really get that many in even asian america and we also don't really want all all queer stories to be tragedies as well (laughs) that seems to be also a trend in in like um a lot of stories that feature queer characters which is why like stories like um not your sidekick yeah is is, like really refreshing because like like you have queer characters doing fun things and it's not all about coming out and there's not like like the whole story isn't about trauma. Yeah, um, I thought it was nice to see the two siblings reconcile at the end of the story. 
right? In in a quiet way, not in like there wasn't like a big emotional scene where they like apologize to each other. But it kind of goes to show that you know, for most people, I feel like like the family bond is something that you can't um, like some things can be communicated without being a big thing, like, yeah, outspoken, right? Yeah, I think that that is like a very realistic thing, yeah. you know. Uh, like you, sometimes you don't have to apologize. You just make up for it by little actions. Yeah. Like, I mean, Peely did, um, did apologize to his sister for not showing up sooner, not helping her out. Um, but he also like let her take the day off to go see her friends and, uh, and like kind of took responsibility for that day and, yeah. yeah, that's kind of like how families are sometimes. Like they might not always say "I'm sorry," <laughs> but uh, you know, some things are communicated without words. Yeah, and I really love the way that Christiana um, writes about the way people touch each other. Yes, very, very tactile yeah. prose. You can, I, I, I said so in in my Goodreads comment. <laughs> I said that like she she writes scents and touches really really well, and I think I, I think that skill came in handy for her because uh, she used to write for a wine magazine. <laughs> <laughs> she she used to write for a wine magazine, and I'm like, ah, yes. How do you deliver uh, descriptions of uh, of taste and smell to your readers and? Um, it it shows in in her writing in this short story collection. Yeah, a lot of the um, food food definitely plays a really big part in yeah in her stories. I mean, so my favorite story from the collection is actually the fourth one, which is also the shortest one. The um the thirty nine rules for making a Hawaiian funeral into a drinking game. Yeah, that one. I really like that one too. And. I think I like that the most because I think I connected to it the most um, because I, I remember. I think it's very universal. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it is. And especially if you've lost a grandparent and have had to go back to to the funeral. And like, granted, Chinese funerals aren't as big a party as Hawaiian ones, apparently. But the the idea of like kind of bringing family together and especially when it's when it brings you back to like a homeland that's not really yours. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. extra universal for those of us who were, who are second generation, like immigrants. Yes. And I think, you know, what I loved about that story was like the way that it ended was the, the, the narrator kind of realizing that she's finally been accepted. Yeah. Into the family. Right. Whereas throughout the entire story, she was kind of, not sure where she like belongs. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, as like someone who is a mainlander, as someone and a hapa, and, yeah. and as someone who like did not grow up in the islands mm-hmm. or, or did not come back as often as she should have, and then yeah. also her father, who you know is kind of an outsider because he left the island. But even before he left the island, he wasn't into the same activities as his as because his peers. He, he wasn't a manly man. <laughs> He, he he did was, not he did not play football. He was the sensitive. I one. did not know that football was like a thing in oh, Hawaii it's as huge. well. Like, there's a ton of like Hawaiians that are offensive linemen in the NFL. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I have zero interest in, in football. 
One of one of the passages I really liked uh, from that short story is uh, is this. I, I'm pretty sure you you will know why. Hmm. With your degree in English, your aunties expect you to deliver the most grammatically correct homage to your grandmother. Take this responsibility seriously. Your copy editing skills are all you have to offer your family. <laughs> Did that hit home for you? Oh yeah. <laughs> I I am the person that all of my cousins call if they need to like get their their essays edited. I feel like I've looked at every single college application essays mm-hmm. essay um, sent in by my cousins. Yeah, <laughs> but what was really funny was right after that, like that passage she immediately just fucks it up yeah yeah (laughs) like she forgets to introduce herself and she kind of like rushes through details and yeah yeah i really like like this short story was like really funny to me i Mm. it was it was a mix of a lot of things like obviously grief because you are mourning someone um that you love and also um she's seeing a lot of her male relatives cry for the first time yeah uh, so there's like grief, vulnerability, and also just like longing and regret for not being on the island for as long as she wanted and stuff like that. But also like there's a lot of humor in it. And yeah. I really appreciated that. Maybe like, as someone who really loves dark comedy. And <laughs> <laughs> like all the shade they're throwing at the pastor. Oh, yeah. Like I, I don't know the history of like like uh colonialism in hawaii oh it's pretty bad <laughs> i know i know it's pretty bad but in terms of like religion you know like i mean I, colonial I, religion eh, I, I, I don't know i was just like kind of the tool of colonists uh, col- the colonizer uh, well, right well, i i was really surprised that like um her family was super was super christian mm. you know like i was just like oh i didn't know that like hawaiians like have a deep I feel like a lot of them are, and that's a direct result of, of colonialism. colonialism. It's yeah. like oh, well, a lot of <laughs> Koreans are Catholic too, right? No, we're Protestant. I don't Protestant, know. I don't know what you, you all are. We're mostly uh, we're like fifty fifty. Like half of us are Christian, and the other half are Buddhist. But mm. um, yeah, I did not know that about Hawaii. So that was like really interesting to me because uh, in the beginning, like like uh, you have the main character. Being like, oh, this pastor, he keeps saying, like, you all go to hell. You're you're all gonna go to hell, and and it's like super hypocritical, and no one is taking this pastor seriously. Yeah, but also she mentions that this pastor also cheated his grandma out of like years out of her of savings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the passage where she says like, drink when the pastor claims deeds get us into heaven, deeds like tithing to the church, deeds like tithing to his church. Do not comment on how this is unbiblical. Do not comment on how he encouraged her grandmother to give until she had no money left for the upkeep of her house. Do not comment on the Louis Vuitton man purse you saw. You've seen them carry <laughs> into church. And I think, um, I mean, that leads directly into like the the latter parts of this story where she's sitting with her, her female cousins and they're kind of shit talking. Like the cousins are shit talking the pastor and then her baby cousins are covering behind her to see what she says. To see what um, she'll say about it, and she, she thinks in her head that she should be a good, like, be good and like praise the pastor. But what she ends up saying is, um, "I don't trust a man with pedicure," right? Yeah. And then everyone's just like, "I think that's when they like really see her as like, oh, you're definitely one of us," right? Yeah. 
which is like, yeah, like they're, they're, they're not taking this guy seriously at all. It's just a ritual because of like, because apparently the family is Christian. Yeah, because the family is Christian. Um, yeah, like the relationship between her and different aunties and cousins, like that was really interesting to read about as well. Yeah, it just like goes to show that like there can be joy in also grieving. You know, there is like this um, this comfort to it as well. Yeah. Um, I'm. It's been a long time since I've gone to like a <laughs> like a funeral. So <laughs> it's another example in this book of someone who, like, even if they didn't grow up in the culture, identifies completely with it. And mm-hmm. I think we can see that also in the third story, Rotahana. Um, Ooh, smooth, smooth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which actually, like, I, I, I've actually been on that road. Uh, oh, you've I, been to Hawaii before? I went to Maui for a wedding. Oh, okay. yeah, and we kind of stuck around for a week and just like that's cool. Drink beer and drove around. I want to go. <laughs> I, I have, um, I have two friends who go to who goes to, um, they go to Hawaii every year. They just wow. came back from from Hawaii like a couple weeks ago and I'm just like what is that like? <laughs> <laughs> what is it like to go to Hawaii every year and not even just like the same island every year just mm. like and they also have like a friend there who who's like getting her PhD so okay. so it's just like oh I I like the only Hawaii I recognize are like stuff from Terrace House <laughs> <laughs> like What's um? Well, I mean, in this story, this is a couple taking a vacation to Maui from Honolulu. From Honolulu, yeah. yeah. So even within the islands, it's like a vacation from "quote unquote" paradise. Yeah. Uh, but, but but this story did a really good job exploring like what does it mean to be a local and what does it mean to be a uh, like a foreigner because uh you have two characters who kind of identifies themselves as hawaiian as local yeah in two completely different ways you have cameron who was uh born and raised in in honolulu uh who teaches in honolulu and um but but he's white and his parents are originally from minnesota mm-hmm um, so he feels kind of apprehensive to call himself, you know, uh, a Hawaiian, but right. he he recognizes that he is local. Whereas uh, his girlfriend Becky, she like she is of Native Hawaiian descent, mm-hmm. but she she's from the mainland. She's yeah. from Vegas. So like, and her entire family lives in Vegas as well. Right, they all moved out there. Yeah. So her main connection to Hawaii is her ancestry. Mm-hmm. So two yeah. different, two <laughs> totally different uh, ways of identification to um, to Hawaii. Uh, and actually, I actually wrote down a passage uh, from that story as well. And this is um, this is when Becky tells Cameron that he's from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And in in his inner inner dialogue, he says he wanted to say he wasn't from Minnesota. He was from Hawaii. Yet that didn't seem quite right. He was local. He knew that much. He was local and she wasn't. But did that matter? Was local being from a place or just of it? Yeah. And, and like to him, he, he grew up there. So 
I think it's it's the same way that I kind of claim that like so I was born in Canada, I was born in Toronto, but I was raised in LA in San Gabriel. And so I always tell people like I'm culturally Californian, like, but like technically I'm from Canada. And legally I'm from Canada. But to me, I I feel like I'm from LA. And I tell people I'm from LA. Yeah. Right. Well, the thing is, you can be more than one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that is the big lesson, uh, if if you will, to take away from this uh, this short story collection. You yeah. can be more than one thing, and there isn't really one definitive way uh, to be local or to be uh, native. I guess it's yeah. just all like it's all about nuance, right? Right. Yeah. And it's it was interesting to see the two. Like the differences in how they both also approach being in in Maui. Yeah. Right. Um, he's very like not type A, but like very neurotic about it, right? Or I don't, what's I don't, the right word? I yeah. don't know if he was neurotic about it. Mm, but since we're going into like personalities, <laughs> what I really liked about this story is how like just one incident with a dog just kind of like was the catalyst for ruining their relationship <laughs> and just like kind of peeling back like, oh, this is who they really are. Yeah. And maybe they're not as perfect as I thought they were. Mm. And uh, I was like, wow, this is a really intense, uh, <laughs> like not a breakup because they obviously did not break up at the end. But I was like, oh, wow, this is. It's kind of like a very relatable uh, <laughs> moment where you realize that that the relationship might not work. Yeah, and this goes to, to his his inability to like let things go, yeah, right? or to stop thinking. Like because she's very much more of like a go with the flow type of person. You can tell, right? She thinks first, like she acts first and thinks later. Yeah, in a lot of ways, and he's more like think first, think a lot, and then maybe act. Mm-hmm. Right and. Um, <laughs> the the scene where they like they eat the freshwater shrimps, right? And she's like, "I'm gonna make a peanut butter jelly sandwich." Like, not the first time a peanut butter jelly sandwich has appeared in this series of stories. Yes. Um, and she like makes one for him because like we didn't you didn't eat enough. You're gonna be hungry still. He's just being like pouty about it. Yeah, but she also was the one who was like, we can't leave this flea-ridden dog out in the <laughs> middle of the road. I'm just like, yo, like, it's a stray dog. Like, just let it go. Because, <laughs> like, because she's very insistent that, like, they uh, find out wh- who the owner is, where it's, when it's, like, very clear that the dog does not have an owner. And when he turns into, like, like, where like this really nice house is he's like we can just leave the dog here and then we can be on our way and she's <laughs> like no like it'll it'll like run out into the street and uh, like because well, he was trying to keep to his schedule right the schedule he he laid out he wants to get to the campsite before dark okay that that is just like common sense in my opinion <laughs> it's not it's not even being like neurotic about it it's you know, you're you're going. You want to start a fire before it gets dark because you won't be able to find anything. 
Maybe I okay. Well, like I'm type A, so maybe <laughs> maybe I'm being a little obviously bit we're, biased. Here. Obviously, we're we're relating to different people in this story. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell which one plans for <laughs> picks out the books and plans out the news? <laughs> um. Yeah, but I I really like that story. It's probably the shortest one out of out of the bunch. I think. I thought the the funeral one was the shortest one. I felt like. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah. so. Yeah, you're right. I think more stuff happens in the funeral one than in the Rotahana. Uh, I think Rotahana is like, it's a lot of, not a lot of plot happening, more a lot of like internal monologuing. I feel like right? that's all of them, though. It's a <laughs> lot of like inner monologue and a lot of like character sketches. I think, I think Rotahana was probably the most linear because mm. you're not like, there aren't like, hundreds of characters who like jump <laughs> jump heads it's literally just two people and uh you're not jumping in timelines or flashbacks or anything like that so it it is like relatively the most simple mm. and linear story out of the bunch but um like i think it was just as good as all yeah. of the other ones <laughs> Um, the one, the one story that critics seem to really, really love and praise is a uh, portrait of a good father, right? That's the which I thought was very surprising because, um, like New York Times and a bunch of other, um, a, a, a bunch of other publications have said that portrait of a good father is like the the best one out of the short story collection. Okay, and I was like, huh. That was my least favorite one out of the bunch. I mean, I really liked it, but <laughs> but I felt like the other stories stood out way more to me. Mm. So I was like, hmm, my taste versus critical taste. Well, I mean, not even critical taste, but like think about who's probably the critic is. I White think... people. <laughs> <laughs> White people who have studied... Uh, studied dead white people works for <laughs> for for decades i mean it's definitely the most um i don't even want to say the most tragic it was probably yeah the most tragic of it yeah right? like i feel like it had the most melancholy yeah uh, like out of out of all of it um because even like the the drinking game funeral story like it, mm. it was funny and yeah there was like definitely more. I mean, but it wasn't about like there wasn't despair, right? This no, the yeah, story there had was, tons of despair. Yeah, this one had yeah. definitely. I mean, like a kid dies. Yeah, you you can't get any more <laughs> like sad than that. <laughs> and it's a lot of like it, it, it like speaking of Celeste Ng, it gave a lot of um, the same feelings I had reading everything I never told you. Oh my god, I right? didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Or how like this was a this was a family that was already unraveling. And like you later find out in by the end of the story that like it was it was unraveling even before it even began. Mm-hmm. Right. And like it was like the death of this child just like was the catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That relationship was uh doomed yeah. from the start. I really like the way it started. Uh it was very cinematic to me. Mm-hmm. Um you start with Sarah, she's moving into her dorms, or she's already in her dorms, yeah. and she has a picture of her, of her dad from when he was nineteen years old. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of, you kind of like flash back into, uh, into her father and mother's like kind of backstory. Yeah, and uh, Actually, I don't even think it's in her dorm room. She's like she's 
in college. And she's describing the picture that used to hang in her front door, I want to say. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it starts with the photograph. Yeah. And I think like that was that was what really like lured me in because I was like, oh, man, we're we're going like Citizen Kane here, <laughs> which, yeah, I mean, yeah. But but I thought that was a really interesting way to set up um, the story and to kind of set up the relationships because like the photograph comes back in, yeah. at the end of the story. Yeah. And you kind of realize like how um, how it was kind of taken and what kind of relationship Grace and the dad. I don't remember the dad's name. Kak. Kiaka. Yeah, Kiaka. Yeah, Kiaka. Again, it's a representation of for Sarah of the idealized father that she had in her mind. Yes. Right. I mean, to put it in like very, very simplistic like words, it's about love and jealousy. <laughs> it's about <laughs> um, kind of comparing your relationship to other people and just kind of being disappointed all <laughs> disappointed yeah. all around and and just kind of um never meeting expectations never being enough right for the relationship and you kind of get that feeling from from everyone from like Grace and uh Kiaka like they um for Kiaka he will never be like enough of a father or a husband <laughs> and uh for Grace it's like why doesn't he love me the same amount or more than uh, than June, the the Korean woman that he's um, he's having an affair with. Yeah, and I mean, you get shades of that from the very beginning when you realize that they pretty much have like a shotgun wedding. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like they're getting married because she's pregnant, mm-hmm. right? And then the son John Boy is already ten months old when they do get married officially. Yeah, and even in in those first scenes, you start to see. That these two people might not really be right for each other. Yeah. It does seem like Kyaka is more interested in being a dad than being a husband. Right? At least to Grace. I think it was the last section of the story where you realize or where they reveal that June was already having a relationship with Kyaka before Grace was even in the picture. Like before the wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the wedding, at, at yeah. the very least. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It like you said, there was a lot of despair in it, um, especially after uh, their firstborn gets tragically killed in a car accident, and just um, just reading parts where Sarah feels so much guilt mm. for. Um, for being the one who who was there when it happened yeah. and for like not holding her brother's hand fast enough for stalling for not paying attention and that just kind of like gets unloaded onto um onto her crush who she would wait uh, yeah. wait for on that street and it's like oh boy that <laughs> that part was really rough to read um but it was out of out of the other stories, I feel like that one was like the hardest one to read in mm. terms of like emotional <laughs> <laughs> emotional uh, turmoil. I feel like there was like a lot more there, and the fights between Grace and Kiaka that was like, yeah, that that was like real rough too. And then like 
being overheard by Sarah, who who comprehended it differently. Mm-hmm. Right. What's definitely being felt there is like this profound loss in how everyone responds to it. Yeah, because you have Kiaka who like kind of is numb yeah. from his son's passing and it's just like I I just want to move on with my life. And then you have Grace who is constantly remembering uh her firstborn and constantly comparing Un- I feel like unknowingly comparing uh, Sarah, her daughter, to mm. to uh, her her son. Yeah, and it's like you don't even realize how much you're hurting your daughter um, because you're so you're you're grieving for your son. And I think there's there's like a a quote in the story where Sarah recognizes that she will never be um, she will never measure up to her dead brother's potential. And she's like, well, that's just something that I have to live with. And the same kind of sentiment is felt with June when she when she is pregnant with Jake. Mm-hmm. She's like, my son is probably not going to live up to Kiaka's first son. And like, we're probably not going to be as loved as as like his dead son and as his daughter but that is just something that i have to live with and that is something that i have to just swallow and you know that's like that is not really a kind of love that i wish on anybody (laughs) like i mean kiaka definitely um struggles with it right because he he's just trying to be a good dude he's trying to be a good father right yes a good father not so much a good husband i feel like he could have tried a little bit harder with that yeah but... and there was that, that that last line where she pretty much tells him like, like how dare you love them the same as me mm-hmm. right yeah um she knows that he's being a good father and he lies to her and yeah. she's just like i know that like this is the answer that he should say but that's not like <laughs> like that's not how i feel and and it's it's it just goes to show being like having expectations for your parents <laughs> is, it, like it's always going to be really contradictory and uh yeah like it flows really well yeah. with the final story with the old um but it's interesting that this was also a story that probably had the least to do with Hawaiian Hawaii, culture yeah. you know well, all of them were really just about people yeah. and their relationships with their <laughs> fathers and uh, relationship with, I keep saying character studies, but that's what these short stories are. Yeah. Like, it's more about um, just everyday life, slice of life on, on different <laughs> islands. How did you keep up with all the, uh, all the pigeon? I really liked it. Um, I thought it would drive me crazy. Because uh, I freaking hated Mark Twain's uh, Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> like, it drove me nuts. And I've definitely read books where, like, like I read books in, in high school where, like, Southern dialect was, like, written out. And it's mm. just like, I can't stand reading this Southern garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I say this as someone who is from the South. And um, I think it really just... Uh, help you dive into the setting much quicker. And I really appreciated the fact that there wasn't a glossary or there weren't footnotes. Yeah. Because if you're if you're actually going to Hawaii and you like 
run into someone who speaks that way, you don't have a glossary. You just have to kind of figure out what they're saying. It definitely put you in the seat of like an outsider. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like I'm cool with that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm, um, I think I had to figure a lot of stuff out, especially when they use slang um, in context. But it, it was also interesting how certain characters would, you know, code switch and certain characters just wouldn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like how they described it in different ways too. Like sometimes it's being described as like proper, sometimes it's precise. Academic. Academic, yeah. But it was surprisingly easy to follow along with. Yes. Yeah. And it definitely gave you like a better glimpse into the characters. Like in Wan Lei, when she moves to the big island for education and, and to become a chef, mm-hmm. um, she loses her pigeon. Like, that is something that is, like, a language of the past now. <laughs> and um, and then you have characters like Harrison, who does not speak in academic English at all. Yeah. So you kind of, like, get a sense of, like, where they are in their lives and how their identity has been shaped uh, in their formative years. Yeah. If you left the, if you left like the smaller islands for a mainland or for the big island, like obviously your pigeon is going to be much more diluted than the people who stayed. Yeah. So there was like definitely, it was, so the pigeon was really interesting because you kind of see a divide almost immediately mm-hmm. in terms of like who is considered an outsider amongst, um, amongst the locals and, and all that so yeah yeah. (laughs) i mean it makes me think that is that what we sounded like to the british when we oh like 100 (laughs) percent, yeah where they're like what are what are you doing to okay i'm gonna so like americans think that british accents are like so they're academic they're they're highfalutin it's like oh they're so posh or whatever but what they don't realize is that the accents that they use on television is fake it's called <laughs> rp like rp english uh-huh. and that is just an accent that british actors use so that the rest of the population can understand what they're saying because every <laughs> single region in every single region every single neighborhood in in england mm-hmm. speak like completely different <laughs> i'm pretty sure if you spent if you spend like a day in london you will probably be horrified as someone <laughs> as someone who uh, like it's like oh British people are so posh. Well, no, the, spend a day in the, London. The same way, like every every newscaster in the states take on. I think it's like what the Connecticut accent or some like yeah, it's Vermont like a, accent or something. It's like a like standard the mid-Atlantic like standard. Like it's what it's what mainstream media has declared as normal english yeah i mean it's the same with every every country i think i'm mm. i don't know how it is with china considering that like dialects are are vastly different we have a it's they call it Putonghua, which is just normal normal language standard yeah. standard language yeah yeah same thing same thing with korea uh the standard accent is the seoul accent or the Gyeonggi-do mm. accent and uh, but like dialects uh in in other other regions are vastly different yeah um to a point where i actually have actually with some of my korean american uh friends i can tell if their parents are from are from seoul or from busan or some or from other (laughs) 
from other region because they picked up that accent from their parents when they speak Korean. So mm. I have a friend who's, uh, whose parents are from Busan originally. Mm-hmm. And when she talks in Korean, I'm like, oh, you have a Busan accent. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, really? I, I just feel like I... I'm just talking in Korean, though. And I'm like, no, no, that's not that's not like the standard yeah. accent. So it, I mean, I definitely have a Taiwanese accent in my Mandarin when I speak it. Yeah. So, to, so to answer your question, yes, we sound weird to <laughs> British people and British people sound weird to us. Yeah. I, I thought it was just like so interesting that they called it like academic or precise as if like there is a right and wrong. I mean, I think that was one of the things that like, people who spoke pers- like academic English were telling the people saying, speaking pigeon that that was the wrong way to talk. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the things you put up with as someone from, from Hawaii, like local from Hawaii. Yes. Right? <laughs> the colonizers will constantly tell you that you are wrong and that they are superior. Yeah. Um, well, we, we were able to get through all six short stories. Yes, yes. I am very proud of us. Um, um, but I think Christiana did a really good job with um, portraying Hawaii in kind of like this kaleidoscope. You know, it, it was a very nuanced view. And I really appreciated it considering how little I know of Hawaii <laughs> and how any any books I have read that like take place in Hawaii have been written by white people or written in a very tourist yeah. viewpoint. So it was, it was really, really nice to get like some authenticity, some nuance. It's always good to see like kind of, it's always good to see stories from the people who live in the places. Um, I know, I know uh, Christiana is, um, she, she's a Hapa, first off. She is um, of native Hawaiian, German, and Norwegian descent. Uh, she's mainly, she, she's mainly from uh, California, but she um, lived in the East Coast for some time. And her family is based in Maui. Mm. So uh, she, she spent her childhood in, in Maui. But like she mainly grew up in the states, so she she carries all these different identities, and and like it really really helped her, it really equipped her to write such um, varying perspectives in, in her work. Yeah, I think a lot of the comments we got from Goodreads all were praising the book's um, nuanced portrayal of the Hawaiian people. Like Hawaii is often seen as like Disneyland, you yeah. know. So it's just like, yeah, you get ho- you get a Hawaii that is like not pristine. It, yeah. There's some grit to it here. Yeah. Like these are real stories of people who live here. In- people have problems with their dads. <laughs> people have problems making a living. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not just. It's not just. A, it's not just another day in paradise. But yeah, thanks to uh, Lauren, Lola and Julie from 3x5 Books for writing in and um, expressing their thoughts on the story. So, yeah, thanks for joining us for a discussion of This is Paradise by Christiana Kahakawila. Um, I hope you enjoyed reading the book as much as we did. And if you have any thoughts on the stuff that we talked about or would like to add to the discussion, um, please um, let us know on our Goodreads forums. You can find it by going to goodreads.com and searching books and boba. Um, and on that note, I guess it's time to figure out what we're reading for the month of June, which is 
Very exciting because we're finally, both Rira and I are reading our very first Haruki Murakami book. Um, and we put a poll out on Twitter and we had a lot of people write in as well about their thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. Write in from Instagram and uh, commenting on the poll itself. Yeah. Um, so it looks like the clear winner is Kafka on the Shore. So that's probably what we're going to be reading. Okay. Um, but I will read some of the other choices that people sent us. Uh-huh. Um the losers. After Dark was a popular uh, write-in choice from both Instagram and Twitter. Um, we had a couple people say Killing Commendator. Um, hopefully that is the correct pronunciation. <laughs> Commendatory. But, but, but like the most recent Murakami book. Like okay. that one is the most recent one, um, which I was really surprised. I thought people would uh, be more insistent with his older pieces i think people just want to read stuff they haven't read yet yeah yeah i think that that's another thing too uh i had two people say which is not the question we were asking uh i i had two people say oh i would say iq 84 but like it's really long and i'm like yeah that is why it is exempt from uh from from the poll same thing with norwegian wood uh we had a couple people say oh like yeah. Nor- Norwegian Wood is my favorite, but since you guys are not considering it, like... And if you listen to our last episode, you know why. Yes, yes. So Kafka on the Shore seems to be our clear winner. Right. But thank you, everyone, for uh, submitting your uh, suggestions and for voting as well. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I will read more than one Murakami book in my life, so I will check <laughs> check out the other ones. Every June, we will, re- we will read a <laughs> Murakami book. You know what? That... That's doable. <laughs> Once um, a year. So, yeah. Kafka on the Shore by Haruki Murakami is our books and Boba June 2019 book club pick. Uh, we look forward to reading with all of you. And I, I look forward to, um, I guess, reading my first Murakami. Yeah. Let's let's see what the hype is all about. You know? <laughs> and on that note, that'll also do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thanks a lot for tuning in and joining us on this journey. Uh, we were thanks for... Always recommending such great books. We get the recommendations from our readers and not readers, <laughs> from our listeners as as well. Yeah. If you enjoyed our conversation and um, have not subscribed to us yet, um, you can do so on Apple, Google, Spotify, Radio Public, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Books and Boba. And please share your thoughts in the Goodreads forums. If you're a lurker, I would love to know your name and... <laughs> And uh, why you listen to this podcast and what your thoughts are. Yeah. Uh, I also love getting book recommendations from you all. So, um, yeah. you know, say Let us hi. know. <laughs> Let us know who you are. Tell us about your thoughts. And if there's any cool stuff that's happening that we haven't touched on, please create a thread and let's talk about it. Um, we'd like to also thank the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts, for having us as part of their network. You can learn more about our fellow Potluck Podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And finally, this podcast was recorded at the Potluck Podcast Studios located in Little Tokyo at the Visual Communications offices. Visual Communications is an amazing nonprofit and Asian American media center behind the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. You can learn more about their programs by going to their website, vcmedia.org. And with that, uh, we'll see you next time on Books and Boba. Great. Bye.
Hi, this is Taz. And this is Zara. And we are the Good Muslim, Bad Muslim podcast. It is a show about being two Muslim women in America. We talk about pop culture, the pork lobby, periods. And we talk about Islamophobia, patriarchy, and smashing white supremacy. It's a range. Download the Good Muslim, Bad Muslim podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Or at goodmuslimbadmuslim.com.